Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we sit idly by in Orlando as insurrectionists storm the Capitol. I am your host, Nagin Farsad, coming at you live to tape from Manhattan, New York. And I am, of course, speaking of what's going on in Brazil, which is so nuts, and then the other thing is what's going on in Orlando, which is adjacently nuts. And we will get into Brazil, because we're going to do an international check-in of Brazil and of Iran. Uh, we'll also be making the case for social climbing, and we'll dip into the culture grab bag to elevate the discourse on poop. You won't want to miss it. Today, I am joined by such an excellent panel. I cannot believe... First of all, there's been... um, It's a convening of two people that should have already met 150 years ago but are now meeting for the first time. It's wild. So that's exciting. It's also personally exciting because Liz Winstead is is a person with whom I launched this very show. Um, And so she's on. And I mean, I just can't. So let me just start with her. She is the founder of Abortion Access Front. She's co-creator of The Daily Show. She's just someone who I can watch on stage for hours and hours because she will continually and effortlessly make you laugh she is the one and only liz winstead hey Liz. well i can't live up to that intro i feel like <laughs> we're good <laughs> bye-bye now bye-bye 
All true. And then also joining us on the other mic is, um, oh man, I've known this guy for years. He's just like um, consistently impressive. He's a raconteur, an author, a producer. Um, he's author of the book An American Murder in Persia. Um, and uh, it's an incredible book. And he is the one and only Reza Aslan. Hey, Reza. Hello. You forgot to mention that it's very likely that we're related. We're somehow related. This is a Persian. Uh, a Liz is being flanked by Persians. <laughs> um, it's either it's a murder of Persians or a, we've decided potentially a jihad of Persians. Right. Um, yes. Unclear. Yes. Um, but so I got a copy of this book. It was sitting on my, account, on my counter and my dad happened to be in town and he came over and he saw this book and he was like, wait, can I borrow this book? And I hadn't read it yet. I had read maybe just like a, a couple pages just to, you know, to, just to get excited. And he takes this book and then he comes back like 10 days later. Basically, this is maybe the he's like, this is the best book I've read in like the last no. 10 years. Like he was so I mean, I can't tell you. And I've gotten this man many books over the years. <laughs> I think probably most of them are sitting in a corner like a quarter red, you know. But this book, I mean, he was just like, and he said in Farsi, bin azir, which, oh. which, uh, yeah, what is the word bin azir? It's sort of like just tremendous. It's like an, it's a word for like beautiful and tremendous at the same time. Oh, that's so uh, nice. So it's anyways, my favorite, it's I, my favorite book. I don't mind saying it's my favorite. Oh, my read that's so interesting to hear an author Glad mention their agrees. favorite book. That feels, <laughs> it feel. I feel sad for all your other books. Um, yeah, I and fuck I those books. Yeah. Them. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, okay, folks. Um, Liz, I have declined to give my parents your book because I don't want them to know that I know anything about the subjects you cover in your book. I know. I know. My book is not my book is not really one that parents grab. You don't give you don't give it to it's like the kind of book I will give to my peeps, but I'm not giving it to your my parents book. are Gloria Steinem and you know, <laughs> All right, exactly. Jermaine Greer. Exactly. Um <laughs> don't. Well, well folks, um just a quick reminder before we get into topic number one, you can go to Patreon com slash Nagin Farsad to support the show for as little as $4 a month. You can get bonus episodes of Fake the Nation, a show that you love. So get more of the show that you love um, at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. Now let's get into it uh, with topic number one. We read a piece in The Atlantic called The New Case for Social Climbing by uh, Zochitl Gonzalez. I'm sorry if I'm murdering your name. And in it, they describe coming from modest beginnings and creating a place in the world of social climbing. Now, before we get into the kind of nuts and bolts of the argument, here uh what is your relationship to social climbing and this feels like a bit of a taboo question but have you engaged in it knowingly unknowingly are you embarrassed to tell um i i i want to hear your for the first time ever honest and unfettered thoughts on social climbing i'll start <laughs> um it's such a weird definition of things and i feel like <sighs> Have I done social climbing? I mean, I'm a comedian that begs people to like me on stage. Um, so I feel like <laughs> so that in and of itself is on some kind of ladder of trying to get more people to like me. Yeah. So is that a level of social climbing? Maybe. Um, but I've also been somebody who has been, I don't suffer fools or boredom very easily. And so if something's fancy and could put me on a different like level or trajectory or whatever, if it's a boring thing, I'm not going. 
So, Ooh, I mean, I just bought you're snowshoes. You're a social climber with, uh, with boring as a full, as the... You know, I kind of just lived my life and was lucky enough to, through comedy and through the avenues with which I was pursuing what I love to do, which also comes with audience and comes with that stuff. I guess what I would say is I've never pursued um, profound, like, popularity because I know that I'm niche. So I just wanted to grow audiences based on shared belief systems. And so have I social climbed within those circles? I don't know, maybe. And I think probably the the hesitance that we're all having talking about this topic is that the the term social climber is already like besmirched, you know, yeah. right, Reza? Like I think that's the problem. Like in, in the you know, there's there's a notion that it's kind of like shitty real housewives you know people on reality shows that are like i'm not here to make friends you know what i mean those people um are the the you know the opportunists and and it's an ugly term uh reza what do you think i i that's what i was gonna say i don't get it like doesn't isn't that just working like isn't that just (laughs) i mean i'm an i'm an immigrant who like you know ate welfare cheese for a decade and shared a bedroom with two sisters until I was 16. So like I, you know, I came from like the lowest social rung of the ladder. So just simply succeeding, isn't that what social climbing is like trying hard, <laughs> you know, right. I, don't, I don't really understand. Like what, what right. is the problem? Or, or like trying hard and like being open to befriending people while you're trying hard is sort of like what it is being nice to bosses like again again, (laughs) i just don't get it maybe again it's it might be an immigrant thing i don't really i don't really understand what why this is a bad thing but like you know what are the goals right i feel like the like talking about what the goals are is i think where we could get to the meat of how we would define what our social climbing um history is right well and and actually i think a great place to start with that in terms of what are the goals is um you know in this piece gonzalez describes like their early days of networking like as a student body president in Mm. wood paneled rooms they would sort of walk up to powerful people and be like my goal is to graduate from here and get a job in the arts can you help like they were pretty like direct about it and that seemed to like not work <laughs> you know um and it what is why it does that type of social climbing like that kind of direct ask seem to not be the point of social climbing or it's more friendly potential synonym networking you know i think part of it is me the thirst quotient for being in proximity to power right and so if your thirst quotient is high on being just simply in proximity to power and that means any cost you're going to be hanging around with some crazy assholes that's I think what we generally think of when or when I think of that phrase I think of that right okay so I remember when I first moved to Los Angeles and started like working in Hollywood it was so weird that everybody here graduated from Harvard and all went to like uh, the same class too. That was the other thing that was so strange, like the same three classes basically. And it took a little while to realize like, Oh, I, I see, I get it. So like these, you know, they, they, they got the job in the studio. Cause like 
the person a year ahead of them who lived in their dorm, you know, was there as well. And But that was a completely new thing to me. Like, I didn't really understand, like, that's how it all worked. I just thought, oh, um, see, I was stupid. I thought, oh, you just work hard and then you succeed. <laughs> right, silly. right, right, right. So cute. Well, when I was running The Daily Show, um, I was so, like, hyper- fuck these Harvard writers that get everything that when a Harvard writer, I had a, I had a no Harvard writer policy when I was there. And when Harvard writer resumes would come in, I had a Folgers can in my office and we would put the resume in there and burn it. (laughs) (laughs) Just putting it out there. I feel like I, I feel like oh man, I, I am telling wow. Tucker Carlson that story. I know. I mean, that is wild. I also, just want to say that um, the, the fake the nation does not take any particular position on Harvard writers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that Liz was instead of speaking of her own position. That is my own personal experience. Yeah. Um. No, but I. I mean, so so the other thing is, it's funny because I got into a cab the other day. And I'm doing this like that. Who who does that? Um, what New York Times opinion writer always talks about their cab rides? I'm that guy. Anyway, um, it's like Thomas Friedman or something. Anyway, Friedman, yeah, yeah, Friedman. Okay, so I'm doing my Friedman here and having a chat with a cab driver, and he for some reason he starts talking about we start talking about our kids or whatever, and his kid is, um, is college bound. And I was like, where is he? Where is your kid looking to go? Whatever. And he's telling me, I mean, he rattled off like 10 schools. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, um, that's great. And 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 he's like, you know, and he got a scholarship here already, early decision, da, 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 but we don't know. We still haven't heard from NYU. We didn't do NYU early decision, right? This is an immigrant um, Pakistani cab driver, um, you know, who had only, whose, whose kids came here when they were little. And he go and he said and he told me the story of like his kid came to him and said, "Look, Dad, these schools are all really expensive, and I'm getting you know some some partial scholarships and stuff, but there's still going to be money to pay. Why don't I just go to a CUNY, um, a City U- University of New York school, and you and and it'll I'm going to be a data scientist either way, and um and then I'll just get a job and we won't have debt to deal with." And the dad said, "No, like this is America." And I need you to graduate w- alongside fancy people. Um, so I will take on, and I just, <laughs> I'm honestly, it broke my heart. He was like, I will drive more. I will take on more hours and I will pay that money. Um, but you need to go to a, like a fancy school because when they look at the resume, they look at the school name. Anyways, and I was just like heartbroken in the backseat of this cab, but motherfuckers right you know what i mean you they do look i mean not many people are gonna burn harvard resumes (laughs) i know (laughs) hey all of you that went to you know michigan state i'm your person right (laughs) or didn't go at all right and liz i mean you're like in a class of your own with that i just don't see that happening for in a lot of situations um and the thing that i guess and and, you know it, it is no diss on harvard but really for me it's my value of intersectional life experience with which we put that into the comedy world is to me what I want to be doing. I want to, I want to have the richness of experience. I want as many people as possible um, who didn't start on third base yeah. to hear their life experience reflected. And also, you know, when you work on a show that is like basically dragging, you know, the privilege for filth, having a whole bunch of writers who 
got to go to Harvard and major in comedy writing. <laughs> All those lampoon I know, I know. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I think, you know, one, one of the things um, this piece brought up that I think we're all sort of talking about is the the thing that is the, is the great equalizer could is this notion of social climbing, networking, because it doesn't cost anything. All it costs is you need to go out there, be charming, shake some hands, meet some people. Um, Reza, what do you think, do you feel like it has the power to equalize someone who otherwise, you know, it equalize you in front of someone who otherwise went to Harvard? Well, what it does do is it puts to puts the lie to the idea that all it takes to succeed in America is hard work. I mean, yeah, I mean, look on the other other side of it is the the nepotism problem, right? The the nepo babies and, you know, yeah. the fact that so many people are just taking advantage of their their family connections or family names in order to succeed. And, and if you don't have those things, you know, social climbing is sort of the next best thing. And again, I, I just, I don't think people should think of this in, in negative terms, right? Right. I mean, That's if you, I think part you of it. Yeah. Succeed, if you have a goal in front of you, you want to be a, a certain something. Yeah. You got to work hard, but you also have to figure out like who can help you get there. And, you know, Kissing, kissing some butt. That's maybe, maybe it's just the experience that I had, but it's just like, so you kiss some butts. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, I kiss yeah, my butt yeah, all the yeah. time now. I, I quite enjoy it, actually. Listening, right? yeah. to, listening to both of you talk, I think maybe what the difference is, is networking, the difference between networking and social climbing, because social climbing implies you want to reach some predisposed status of what society has said is is something that you don't have and so if you're coming you're coming from a disadvantaged space mm -hmm. rather than a with networking it's i know my goals and i know what i need to do um and i and i do need to talk to folks because there's so many people who have my same goals how do i give myself a leg up with those goals because rich people don't social climb they just, they're already there, right? Yeah, so yeah. People with privilege and all that stuff, they aren't, they don't need to get more privileged. They're just trying to hook up with other privileged people to be world dominating. And so like, so I think that that's for me, it, mm -hmm. like differentiating between networking, which I'm wholeheartedly for and social climbing, which is what do you want to do when you get there? That, that's yeah. actually a really good distinction. Yeah, I, I, that, I, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. And I also think part of it is, the, one of the things that I would like to add to both of these um, terms is don't it's like, it, you know, when they, they talked about like going into these rooms and asking for things directly and it not working like the thing with networking and with social climbing, like it can't be about my next step. Like it, ha I think you need to show genuine interest in people at all levels of society and that might work <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. i mean like i think if you if you walk into situations where you're where you just show genuine i have just like i sort of like you know after a show especially right i'll talk to fucking anyone and i will just spend out like you have to pull me out of the thing because i'm so grateful that people have shown up to my show <laughs> that i will just like you know hug and you know be a super spreader and sign and take photos and and i just chat with everybody 
and it's funny because my husband was like reading comments on a on a post the other day on Instagram. I was like, oh, who is this person that wrote this funny comment? And I was like, oh, that's funny. I think they came to like a film of mine in 2009 when I made my first movie. Shout out Nerdcore Rising. And... <laughs> And they've just been following my career ever since. And in somewhere in the middle of the way, it turns out that they were like a college administrator and brought me over to their college in Texas for a gig. Like this is literally just someone who had no reason to know me or follow me or anything. They just liked a movie I made at a festival. And so the thing is, and I ended up like, whatever, shout out Marcy, getting a job in the process and then just like a lifelong friend and fan. And I think like that's the thing. B, you just don't know, don't look at people as opportunities, you know, look at them as people and you never know my, what might come of that. I think a genuine love of other people is the thing that sort of can be, can be the long-term um, social climby thing, except for it should start with genuine love and not like a gross thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Don't be a dick. It's um, not that hard. Don't be a dick. Yeah. I, and then I think and I like that. Like, and, and it's right. It, whatever the behaviors you're seeing on Real Housewives, that's the <laughs> thing we don't want. We want some of the gentle ass kissing that's delightful. <laughs> well, and also just like the fact that they call it Real Housewives implies if some if a woman isn't that eventually she will be because that's what Real Housewives do. Right, so right, we already right, right. put a moniker of that's the standard. Yeah. Right. Don't be fooled if someone hasn't gotten there yet. Folks, tell me what you think of this phenomenon of a new definition of social climbing. And sh and can we pull the term out of its um, out of the muck that it is currently in? Uh, and let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we will continue chatter. This HeadGum podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm -hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code headgum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we are back and we are ready for topic number 1.5. We weren't really going to talk about this today, but I just, I did want to quickly mention to you guys that after something like 47 votes, um, Kevin McCarthy, it's actually not even enough of an exaggeration because it was like 15 votes. Kevin McCarthy finally is speaker. Hilariously, like last week we were in the middle, we were like, you know, four votes in or something and I thought it was going to be solved the next morning. Uh, how wrong I was. It took several days. Um, so Kevin McCarthy speaker and one of the things um, that's happened just um, on his watch of one of the first orders of business is this thing on the the, the subcommittee on the weaponization of government um, any any hot takes on this just fabulous subcommittee and there's just there's just at wonderful um, things that it plans on doing <laughs> and, you know for the American people <laughs> I mean I love the fact that our police departments around the country are just riddled with harm, right? But if you even bring that up or it want to investigate anything that's going on in the, what, what they do, don't ask a Republican. But all of a sudden when their own kind is being investigated for, I don't know, things like uh, treason or um, <laughs> child molestation or a whole host of other crazy things. Um, we're gonna we're gonna investigate the people who want to look into that because surely there is something nefarious going on. Yeah, I this is exactly why I've just had it with not just politics, but frankly with the news media. This idea, like the desperation to kind of create that equilibrium and and both sidesism, you know, like McCarthy now is saying, hey, uh, the my first act as speaker is I'm going to strip, you know, uh, Adam Schiff and and uh, Eric Swalwell and uh, uh, El- Ilhan Omar of their committee assignments. And it's like, well, but why is it? Well, because the Democrats uh, stripped Paul Gozar and Margaret Marjorie Taylor Greene of their committee assignments. It's like, well, yeah, they did that because they are avowed white nationalist racists. Like that's why they did that. It's like, well, right. they did it, so now we get to do it. Uh, you know, it, it's just uh, the, the or like the weapon is like Liz said. It's like when the Democrats were in power, they used the government to investigate crimes, and so <laughs> we now, were committing now. This is. I just. Here's my like request of media, I guess, is a lot of these investigations are going to be garbage. They're not going to really matter in the long term. Um, Let's not give them the 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 media attention that they so desperately want. You know what I mean? If they're if the if the investigation is shenanigans to begin with. Let's just not give them attention. And then we don't have to fucking talk about it. Oh, you know, you know that would be, that's my the, dream. The problem with that is, um, is that I would say yes, if our only media was Fox and MSNBC and CNN 
and that's that. But what we often, as people who are not part of this QAnonigans um, and and anti supreme <laughs> you know, just like horrible people, yeah. the place that they get their information is, you know, OANN and all these other sidebar um, places that liberals don't really understand the power of a Charlie Kirk, of a Ben Shapiro, of these the places right. that we call secondary media outlets. And so when you have secondary media outlets feeding people information and there's no counter narrative ever, that becomes the narrative. You know, yes. as somebody who's worked in abortion activism for so long and having people never report on what's going on, that's why we are there. So it's really a reevaluation of how they tell their stories, but we can't cede 100% information to one side telling one story. That makes a lot of sense. And this actually is a really good, this is a really good segue into topic number two, because let's talk uh, quickly about what's going on in Brazil. Um, for about 10 weeks, supporters of Jair Bolsonaro, the losing presidential candidate, have been camped outside the capital in Brasilia, claiming that the election was rigged. Um, and then the other day, they stormed the capital. Does any of this sound familiar? And as all this went down, Bolsonaro happened to be perched up in Orlando, Florida. Anyways, odd. Um, he loves Harry Potter think- world. <laughs> Nobody talks about that. He just loves Harry Potter world. Oh, you can't get enough. Um, and and part of the reason this is a good segue is because the we, we saw misinformation work its way in um, 2020. Um, is that kind of just what we're now seeing in Brazil, uh, Reza? You're going to say something about that um, about how these things get you know the, um, the 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 notable names on the right. Just to, to Liz's point that she's absolutely right, but that's assuming that the the sort of quote-unquote mainstream media is countering that narrative. I mean, yesterday, CNN spent 22 hours talking about the classified documents found in, you know, Joe Biden's, Biden's clo- uh, uh, closet as though yeah. there was any equivalence whatsoever between right. that. And, you know, if you asked CNN why they talked about it for 22 hours, they would say, well, because... It's news and people are talking about it. Yeah, Charlie Kirk is talking about it. Like, so all the mainstream media does now is just take their cues from the extremes, right? Um, And the Lincoln Project is ization of media. Stop normalizing assholes who (laughs) set the foundation for the white supremacy and for all the shit that's here. And then it's like, oh, Trump is terrible. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You have supported people who are terrible. No one ever heard of John Kasich was terrible. Scott Walker was terrible. All the fucking people you supported as normal Republicans were terrible. Oh, so in the case of Brazil, Brazil, what we're, you know, look, I don't know who their Charlie Kirk's are. I don't know who their all those guys are. And I don't even know the American ones, obviously. But like, what is this just the modern malaise of like having too much access to the Internet? Again, this is the weaponization of disinformation. I mean, this is this is the new normal now, and it's just going to get worse. And we have to just kind of recognize that and begin putting together the the modern communication tools necessary in order to combat it in a meaningful way. I mean, the, the, again, the fact that, you know, 
something like uh, a half of all Republicans think that the 2020 election was stolen. And there's nothing, there's nothing that any of us are going to be able to say that's going to change their, their minds. Uh, and supercharge that, you know, with what's happening in Brazil. I do think it's, it's really funny though, that Bolsonaro is in Florida and he might just stay <laughs> in, in Florida now because it, I, I mean, it, like apparently Florida is like where fascists retire. Is that is that a thing? I know. No, I was like, like it's so just because I mean, Argentina it's expensive Trump. to get to. So <laughs> I feel like you know you got to have a couple of different. But places. here's what I I'm this is what I'm really curious about is that first of all, congratulations to the Brazilian government and the authorities there. They've like already arrested like 200 people. 400. 400. Okay, so it's like it. It took us like two years to arrest like a couple of dozen, you know, people. We had like we had them on Facebook <laughs> saying, watch me poop, watch me poop right here. Um, so great job. But also it seems really, really clear that that Lula is saying Bolsonaro is guilty of inciting an insurrection. Like I don't need, you know, a, a two year long, you know, congressional investigation to see what I saw with my own eyes. And if he says that, well, what's Biden going to do? I mean, because Bolsonaro is not leaving Orlando. <laughs> this guy is not not leaving Orlando uh, on his own. And if it's Lula says such a bizarre he, situation. he's guilty, then we need to see Biden step in, arrest this person and extradite him back as a message, not just to Brazil, not just to democracy, but to Americans, right? To say, yeah. like, this is how it's supposed to be done. This is how we deal with former heads of state who try to uh, and, and you know, do, do essentially a military coup. That's what that was. It's wild. I mean, when I've heard, like, little bits and pieces over the last few days of inter people being interviewed in Brazil, um, Bolsonaro supporters, they cannot sound any more like Trump supporters. Oh, it's unbelievable. Like, literally the same language, the rigged election, da da da. So there, it's like these strongmen are using the same rule book. And I think what's really fun um, in at least these two situations is that they're both also failing, um, using using that playbook and failing. Uh, well, also, the, the, mm -hmm. the professor of the playbook, Steve Bannon, who wrote the playbook <laughs> and right. then was taking that too, was advising. Both, yeah, both yeah, that's Nero, right. And, mm -hmm. and, and yeah. working to get him elected. And that means putting all of that language into into their supporters. So mm -hmm. it's like they were handed it. Also a Harry Potter enthusiast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's the, that's the, how they the thread. That's that's that, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's their what their love of Voldemort. They're like, you know, he was right. <laughs> so let, let's turn our attention to Iran um, on our other international uh, check in. Um, so, you know, the executions in Iran continue just as the revo revolution continues. Um, just over the weekend, there were protests in the prison that contained two more men that were set to be executed. And at this point, it looks like four um, have been. Um, Reza, I guess my question for you is we continue to talk about this and we've talked about it on the show before. What is one thing that you want the world to know about what's happening in Iran? That it's going to get much, much worse. 
I mean, look, Iran has had three major revolutions in the last hundred years, right? There was a revolution in 1905, which was about creating a constitution and a parliament. There was a revolution in 1953 uh, about nationalizing Iran's oil and, and removing you know, the Shah from power. And then there was the revolution in 1979 that resulted eventually in the Islamic Republic to begin with. And I think that it's not an exaggeration to see what's happening right now as a fourth revolution. And I know that a lot of people have a problem with that. They say, well, you know, you're you're making false expectations. And for 45 years, people have been protesting and there have been demonstrations. And we saw what happened in 2009 with the Green Movement. We saw what happened in, in uh, you know, 2017 and then again in 2019, these sort of major uprisings that were brutally repressed. But this one is different. There is a real understanding amongst the protesters that they are not asking for reform, right? The previous uprisings against the Islamic Republic were all about give us more rights, give us more freedoms, you know, give us opportunities, political and economic. That's not what is being asked for here. There is no appetite for reform or, you know, a little bit more freedom, which, by the way, the, the Iranian government has been very good at doing. You know, they always sort of give just a little bit to get everyone to go home and be quiet for a little bit longer. What you are hearing on the streets right now is people saying the only thing that will satisfy us is if this whole thing gets burned to the ground and we start all over again. Right. This is not about reform. This is about revolution. The, the the only compromise we will make is if all of this goes away. Well, all of this goes away means in very real terms that the mullahs get hung by their necks by, you know, on lampposts. That's what that means. And so there's just these two forces, neither of which have the ability or the will to compromise. No one is going to give an inch here. And that's what these executions are really about, you know, is this is the government saying, we're not going to budge. We're not going to budge. We will kill all of you if we need to. And the protesters are saying, kill all of us because that's what it will take. And I think people who are maybe having a little bit of Iran fatigue right now, you know, who are thinking, well, isn't this thing over yet? Or is it is it done that the government win? I always try to remind them that the revolution of 79 started in 77. It took two years for that to yeah. actually succeed. We're like in month three or four. We have a long way to go. And so, you know, it's not exactly optimistic here. I'm not like, you know, saying anything that should make every, anyone feel great. But I think we, we're going to have to buckle in for a lot more violence, a lot more bloodshed on both sides. But... I'm optimistic because I really think that this generation, this and the fact that they're refu they're refusing to compromise on what they're asking for, may be the first generation that actually manages to do, yeah. you know, what we all want, which is bring this government crumbling down and and toss it into the dustbin of history where it belongs. Um. Yeah. I, absolutely. And I think um, the the fatigue thing is so. You know, uh, it it's so 
I mean, and Liz, you know this more than anyone dealing with an issue for so long yeah. that people sometimes get tired of talking about it, right? Yeah. Um, how would you say in your fight uh, for abortion rights, do you kind of keep that energy going, asking for a friend that is Iran? <laughs> I mean, I mean, the truth be told is it's incrementalism of... Um, when you are dealing with oppression that is crushing on your chest, incrementalism um, is a small spurt that when the relief goes away, it pushes back harder on your chest, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, and so people mm -hmm. who don't fundamentally understand what it means to be living with that push me, pull you, we're really not moving forward thing, will never understand, right? What I say to people is... Um, and it's it's whether it's Iran or whether it's fighting for access to abortion, um, how it can it can't be Iranians alone. It can't be people who can get pregnant women alone. Um, it's constantly having a conversation that says to people who haven't seen themselves in that struggle and placing them there, placing their hum attaching their humanity to the humanity of other people attaching their humanity um, and their comfortability with their freedom to those who don't have it and having them say, wow, I, it's hard for me to live in a world where I, I can exhale knowing that people haven't had an opportunity to do that, you know, in Iran really since 1979, right? 77 to your point um, for people who, became the law of the land. Um, marginalized people, people of color, still didn't have access to reproductive care. Uh, rural people, still did, people who live in rural communities still didn't have access to reproductive care. So, you know, put, putting people in the, in, in the struggle in a way that makes them feel like they can be helpful is something that I do on the reg. I think it's important. The authority structures, you know, the, the tyrants, the, the authoritarians, like that's their entire game plan is to just draw things out. Eventually people will stop care. You know, it turned out Prince William kicked Prince Harry. So that's all, you know, we care about now. And who cares about Iran or about, you know, reproductive rights and, and all that. And we have to fight against that. You know, we have to keep caring. We have to pay attention. We can't just like, you know, see something shiny in the corner and like go over there instead. Well, Reza, to, to close out the segment, you know, you wrote this book. It felt like a very specific to historical book about this this figure Basker, Baskerville. Um and it seemed like you chose this for a particular reason. Is there is there something <laughs> you wanted to tell us about ourselves? Tell us today? about ourselves today. So your, your dad's favorite book uh, is the biography. <laughs> literally of, true. Literally of true. Named uh, Howard Baskerville, who in 1907 was a 22 year old Christian missionary from Nebraska who went to Iran. It was called Persia back then in order to preach the gospel and, and teach English and who showed up smack dab in the middle of this first revolution, uh, a revolution, the purpose of which was to create a parliament and a, a, a constitution, create a, a real, it was the first democratic revolution in the entire Middle East and who after a while, uh, 
gave up everything, gave up his missionary post, gave up his teaching position, ultimately gave up his American citizenship and joined this revolution, right? This cause that wasn't his for a country that wasn't his for a people that he just barely just got to know and ended up giving his life for that revolution. And it's an extraordinary story, but it's also a reminder (laughs) to us a hundred years later that the suffering of any one person anywhere in the world is the responsibility of all peoples everywhere, right? That we have a responsibility. So when we look at Iran, it's not just a fascinating thing that's happening in the news. There's nothing that separates you from that person on the street in Iran. It's a great moment uh, at the end of Howard Baskerville's life when like the American consul general came to him on the battlefield and was like, what are you doing? You can't be here. You're an American citizen. Get out of here. This is not your fight. These are not your people. This is not your country. Get back on a ship and go home at once or we're going to arrest you. And Baskerville handed over his passport and said, the only difference between me and these people is the place of my birth. I mean... Beautiful. What what greater truth, right, is there than that? The only difference between you and the 16-year-old being shot in the streets in Tehran is that you happen to be born here and they happen to be born there. And that's I it. mean, and Baskerville's think piece was basically social climb your way into everybody's shoes, you know, <laughs> like fucking yes. feel the thing that is everybody. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, yeah, uh, I, 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 I think it's remar- I think that story is remarkable. It's a it's a little known outside of Iran um, piece of history. And I'm so glad that um, more people get to know read about it, um, especially my dad, whose day you made or whose whose who's 10 years of reading you made. Um, Okay, let us move on. And before we get into the next topic, I just want to remind folks that I'm going to be at Joe's Pub. You can see the case for American exceptionalism from a lady muzz at Joe's Pub on January 19th, 20th, and 21st here in New York City. I would love to see you there. Um, if you haven't seen me at Joe's Pub, this is this is your chance. Um, again, that's the January 19th, 20th, and 21st in New York City. I will hopefully be coming to other cities around the country. Um, but if you're anywhere in the tri-state area, I hope you come out. Um, it's, it's next week already. Oh, God. Um, So I hope to see you there. All right. Let's get into topic number three. Um, You know, we go from high to low here on Fakes the Nation. And sometimes we go from high to keeping it high because we read a piece of advice that asked the critical question, why is shitting still so embarrassing? And I couldn't think of two people more qualified to talk about this. Um, And uh, as someone who recently potty trained a toddler, shitting is a very big and very talked about part of my household. Um, At the point of toddlerhood, it's something to be celebrated but that quickly changes. I mean, by the time you're a preteen, it's something to be deeply ashamed of. And I guess my question is, why? I mean, first of all, look, Liz, you're a comedian. And I know that comedians have different levels of embarrassment for different things. Um, one might say we have a higher <laughs> tolerance for shame than the average person. So what drives us into this fucking field? So where is your where are either of your embarrassment levels on shitting in general as a topic? Oh my God. I'm the youngest of five kids. So shitting (laughs) is, it's a rite of passage to talk about constantly. In fact, um, I am an announcer of 
but like subconsciously, I was like, I have to go take a shit. <laughs> and um, my shrink told me that people that announced they have to go to the bathroom were rewarded during potty training and it goes <laughs> deep into your psyche so that I subconsciously would like to be rewarded or patted on the back for actually making it to the proper spot with which to I, um I'm so embarrassed because it's now making me realize that when we when I got in here today Andrew was on the call whatever and he's like oh have you been waiting long and I was like oh no no I got here I went to the bathroom I came back I got my wand and I, I like told him like where I went now look I'm not saying that I took a shit or didn't take a shit Andrew you don't need to know but I did <laughs> I was very honest about my whereabouts for no reason so maybe Liz um your therapist is like really really speaking to me right now i know i feel like it's true and also when you have pets it's a whole nother oh yeah thing. and i have a dog that eats poop so there's a oh, whole nother thing the, around oh that gosh. that we won't get into yes. but shitting is a thing that you should feel so excited <laughs> that you're doing because it means you're healthy it means a lot of stuff i'm very pro shitting and if i can find uh i don't know what you call a group of people who talk about pooping a swirl of shitters. Um, I'm here for it. Reza. I'm also the wrong person to to ask about this topic because I am very open about my my shitting. I have a uh-huh. I have a, a an impeccably clean colon. Uh, Same. Yes. All right, Brad. Okay. Proud. I I I I poop twice, sometimes three times a day. I mean, Jesus. I, I have an incredibly healthy bowel system. In fact, my wife and I, <laughs> we had been dating for like a month when uh, we went to one of these, uh, you know, Hollywood uh, like colonic uh, uh, retreats where like you go away for uh, a, a week and eat nothing but just like have these daily colonics. And listen, once you've once you've had that experience with someone that you're dating. Wait, you had been dating for a, a month, month and a you month. went away on a colonic and retreat? we went away on a shitting retreat, yeah. Um, wow. That is wild. Great person. bonding. Very good bonding experience. You found your person. You found your person. That's exactly right. And I can't stress this enough because one of the items in this article, by the way, we did read an entire article on shitting. <laughs> One of the items in this article was the idea that it takes about three months is the kind of anecdotal average for a couple to kind of even admit that anything is going, that they'll even, a lot of people will just hold it in until they leave their, you know, uh, the next morning. Uh, Liz, you you have your hand raised. No, I'm just gesturing wildly at... Um... Whatever kind of trauma someone has been through mm-hmm. that they can't um, talk about shitting or poop or like, I don't poop in front of people. I'm not like I can pee in front of anybody. Like if someone's brushing their teeth, it's like I that, I don't care about that. I mean, I like to poop without with the door. closed. Like I'm that I'm fine. That's my yeah. privacy piece. But to act like you aren't shitting is super bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> I insist on privacy too, just because I have four kids and it's like my only me time is <laughs> is when I'm on. The and also, toilet. if you're laying that much cable, it's probably healthy. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. You right, 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 right. Yeah. Keep that. Um, I want to point out though. It, so this is not just in our heads, okay? There's actual sur- surveys about this stuff um, that that talk where. Uh, 
you know, they talk about when people think it's okay for to, to admit to shitting. Now, the other interesting thing about some of the data was that there's a gender divide on this issue because um, there's a, a national survey of more, to, more than 1,000 Canadian women. Guys, Canadian women, so who knows? 71% said they go to great lengths to avoid defecating, especially in, public, in a public washroom. Um, and yet, men will just like talk send each other pictures of their poops you know if it's a particularly so will sisters so will sisters i mean so i i think so reza as a dude do you feel like your dude friends are just more open about poopery you know honestly i'm trying to sit here and think of uh which friend of mine do we like pass around shit photos <laughs> um, um, i gotta be honest and say i, I as as liberal as I am, I, I, I don't it's think not, I've ever actually taken a, a photo of my shit before, let alone sent. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. Same here. So, so, but Liz, you have sent. Have you sent a poop photo <laughs> to a sister? My sisters and I have been like, "Oh my god, this was like monumental," <laughs> um, and laughed about it. But um, you oh, know, I, I it makes sense to me the gendered nature of this because of how we have perceived value on people and if if women's value is to be um childbearing and seductive to men and all of that stuff we have not been allowed to be our full selves yeah. that makes sense nobody nobody says i hope that hot dude does not shit on the right <laughs> you know what i mean it's like like, but I can see where there's a fantasy of a woman who is like, you know, made of marshmallows and her vagina tastes like Oban scotch and she never shits. Like, you know, whatever cultural fantasy we have around expectations of women um, are very different than they are of men. Um, And my final question is like, do you feel so we're in an age of so many just changes with like i guess transparency in general in many in many realms also in in kind of constant public um proclamations via social media of like what we're doing what we're eating what we're seeing what we're thinking um do you think that will trickle down into the poop realm like do you see a world where things get more comfortable around poop well, yeah, I mean, I think post-apocalyptically, we're all just going to have to poop, you know, in front of each other eventually. Right. Right. Like, well, I don't know that we're necessarily going to have to poop in front of each other just because there's an apocalypse. I mean, it has to be, you know what I mean? It's like it has to be a very specific apocalypse where everyone's stuck in one room. Or or you just need you need witnesses or or at least some security to keep the zombies. Right, maybe you have to like go into the bay with a partner. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 makes sense. Um I'm glad we I'm you know, I was hoping we get to the apocalypse with this discussion and we did. So that worked. Oh my god, that is the end of the show and I had a I had a feeling that the two of you would just be able to like throw down about international politics and poop in the same breath, and you could you did it you did it. That's how skilled you both are. Amazing the Venn diagram between international <laughs> politics and poop is. It's nearly just one yeah. circle. It's just one circle um, exactly. So I uh, would love for the people of Fixation to be able to follow you and all the works that you do, Liz Winstead. Where do they do that? 
Uh, you can follow me personally on all the socials at Liz Winstead. You can follow my abortion access front work at abortion front. And if you're in the Los Angeles area in late February, we have asked a whole bunch of straight white dudes to raise some money for us for abortion. So it's a comedy show called Bro v. Wade. And you can look at all of the information for that is on the website at aafront.org. Oh my God, that's hilarious, Bro v. Wade. I hadn't heard of that, Liz. That's that's brilliant. Um, Reza, where do they follow you? Nowhere. I am two months into uh, having... Uh, canceled all of my social media accounts and I couldn't be happier. Wow. Uh, so I'm done. I've, I've uh, disconnected all my, my social media. So you cannot find me anywhere, but you can always read, read my books whenever you want to. They're available everywhere, including uh, the newest one, an American martyr in Persia. And I mean, Definitely read an American Murder in Persia. I'm not finished with it, but it is, as my dad said, Benazid. It is a, just a tremendous book, um, and and everyone should read it. Uh, and again, Abortion Access Front support, support, support. And if you ever have a chance to see Liz Winstead live, you should absolutely do that. Do yourself a favor. And just as a reminder to everyone, I will be at Joe's Pub on January 19th, 20th, and 21st. I'll be uh, also be, you know, I have a couple of wait, wait dates in, in Chicago coming up. So if you happen to be in Chicago, hit me up. Um, and maybe you could come to the show. Uh, and what else can I say? What I really can say, besides come see me at Joe's Pub on the 19th, 20th, and 21st, is I want to thank the people that made the show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire, our fantastic audio engineer, Stephanie Aguilar. Thanks to everyone at HeadGum for the wonderful work that you do. And if you have any ideas for the show, you can email them to me. We have a brand new email address. It's fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and email us. We love segment ideas, panelist ideas, idea ideas. Just hit us up. Um, and don't forget, patreon.com slash Farsad to support the show. And uh, we will be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast.